encourage his church to shine the light. Hear these words as he writes to them in the fifth chapter, the first through the eleventh verse. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact, you are doing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Ever equipping God, as I speak, may you increase and I decrease. May the words you have given me for this message be seeds that rest in our hearts, that we might bear fruit for you here on earth. May I be bold and courageous in speaking what it is you've given me to speak, and may we as your people have ears that hear. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. The other day I had the opportunity to be driving around part of Paris into a part of Paris I had never driven, and I saw this little house, and it had gray paint on it and, and white trim around the windows, but the windows looked black. And I thought, do they have that boarded up? And so I drove around the block and I came back and I drove real, real slow by their house. And I just went real slow and I stared at those windows and I stared at those windows. And I thought, how does the light ever get in those windows? And then it dawned on me. They might be somebody who works at one of our local plants and, and works the night shift and sleeps in the day. And so they have darkened screens on their windows so the sunlight doesn't come in. And it really got me to thinking about what Paul says today. We are the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. We make up the church. And our, and our job, and I don't really want to call it our job, but the goal of our life is to shine the light. To shine the light, to walk in confidence, to do what it is God asks us to do every day of our life. Even to those people who have dark screens on their houses, we're to shine the light. Even those people who have walls built around their hearts, we're to shine the light. Even to those people who annoy us to death, we're to shine the light. That's what Paul's saying today. Brothers and sisters in the church, you know not to worry about the time of day, the time of Christ coming, if you're living with the Christ. 
every day. But can I ask you a question, honestly? Do you like the new time change? I don't like the time change because my bedroom is on the east side of my house. And I don't have screens like that. And so every morning, my bedroom is lit up, I mean, bright every morning, way earlier than my eyes want it to be. And there's too much light coming in. And I just put my head under the covers and try to go back to sleep and not get up. And I try to avoid that hour or two of day. I wonder if we as people of God walking through a pandemic year and a year of an election and a year where racism is the number one issue in the news, I wonder if we as people of God sometimes have a diversion, sometimes have dark screens on our spirit, sometimes have a coping mechanism that takes us away from representing the Christ. So let me ask you this question. What's your diversion? Or better yet, what's your coping mechanism? That's what Paul's talking about. He said, brothers, we are people of the light, people of the day, not people of the night. Because what do people of the night do? They get drunk. They avoid, and the definition of drunkenness is having consumed too much alcohol. But I want you to frame it in a new, word, in a new way today. We get drunk all the time. I haven't had a drink of alcohol in 30 years. But I get drunk all the time. Because the pressure of living this life can be so heavy, we have diversions and coping mechanisms that we grab hold of. I have a building out back of my house. It's full of woodworking, woodworking tools and all sorts of beautiful wood and, and everything I need to create what I like to cre create. And you know what? Sometimes I don't go out there to create. I, create, I go out there to get drunk, drunk on sawdust. Because the more sawdust I make, the less I have to think about this place. The more sawdust I make, the less I have to think about COVID. The more sawdust I make, the less I have to think about my personal family problems. The more sawdust I make, do you get it? We all have coping mechanisms, and we use them to avoid the issues of real life. We use them to duck our responsibility as Christians to shine the light to other people. So I want to ask you again, what's your coping mechanism? What's your diversion? What, some of you, it's your grandchildren. Some of you, it's your children. Some of you, it's your job. I mean, I know a guy who worked so much, he lost his family and his kids. Because work was his diversion. The longer he stayed at work, the less he had to deal with his marriage, and he certainly didn't have to deal with his kids. And eventually in his life, guess what? Work became his God, and he lost everything that God had given him. Just like an alcoholic would if you drank too much. I know several alcoholics, and I know several of them who it's cost them not just one marriage, but it's cost them several marriages. Because if we dig in or give in, to running away from it, mean, what it means to represent the Christ into the world, then we're, we're not shining the light. And it's costing us encounters with the Christ. Just this morning, I was telling somebody about, they asked me what the sermon was going to be about, and I was telling them about part of the sermon, and we stood there in the conversation, and I told them this little incident about the sermon, and we both looked down at our arms. 
and goosebumps were just standing on our, we haven't gotten to that part yet, but goosebumps were standing up on our arms. And it was an encounter with the Christ because two people were shining the light to one another. And God revealed God's self in a simple conversation. Now, had I chosen to just stay somewhere else and not engage that person, or that person has decided to stay somewhere else and and be enveloped in something that keeps them from engaging somebody else, then the light wouldn't have shined. The blessing wouldn't have been there. See, Paul wants nothing more than for us as the church to remember it's not about membership. It's not about committees. It's not about budget. It's not about any of that stuff. That's all man-made organizational stuff. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's calling us to represent. Not in labor, but in passion. To use our gifts and our talents to shine our talents to shine the light unto the world, whatever that is. Now there have been times I've gone into my wood shop and I've taken my wooden my tools and, and I've taken my resources and I've taken my materials and I've created something for someone I love, and everything about it represents the Christ. I prayed over every minute that I was creating it for that person in their life. I wrote him a beautiful letter when I gave it to him and said, I want you to know all the blood, sweat, and tears and time that created this, you were prayed for the whole time. And there are symbols on that, on that piece of woodwork that remind them not of me, but remind them of the Christ. Every time they pick up that woodwork, they can't look at it that they don't think of Jesus. That's what our lives should be like. Instead of those times when I go out there and I turn on the football game and I turn on my classic rock and roll music and I I just burn sawdust. And I've built some things in that attitude and they don't turn out near as pretty or near as nice. Because what I'm out there for is that I'm coping. I don't want to go to the house because I don't want to talk to Mary. Right? I I don't have my phone out there because I don't want to talk to y'all. Right? I mean, that's life, isn't it? We have that in our lives. We let the, I don't want to hear another news story about COVID. I don't want to hear any more about the election. I'm tired of hearing about race relationships and how people can't get along in this world. So where do I go? I go to my woodshed. I run off. And Paul says, hey, don't do that. You're living in the night if you're doing that. Whatever your coping mechanism is, wherever you go to get away, it's okay to take care of yourself. We all need time away. But when that time becomes your sole focus because you don't want to deal with what's in your life, you're denying the Christ. God expects us to get away. Jesus went to the top of the mountain all the time. But what he did at the top of the mountain was he got recharged. And what Paul's saying to us is that we need to put on a breastplate of faith and love to go out into the world. And that's what happens when I'm in the woodshed. When I go out to my shop and I start to burn sawdust and pray and create and things just come together easier than they've ever come together and and there's no mistakes and I know I'm in the right spirit and I know that the breastplate of faith and love is there. Do you you realize why Paul talks about the breastplate? He's, He's talking about guarding our heart. What should be in our heart is not selfishness. It should be faith and love. We should we should have nothing more in our heart than the faith in God, that God has us. God is with us. God's walking with us through this pandemic. God's walking with us through post-election stuff. God's walking with us with racial tensions. 
And what should come from that is love. That muscle in our chest represents love. It's the symbol we use on every Valentine's Day when you write somebody, you make a little heart and you draw an arrow through it and you say B plus M forever. All those funny little things you do. But you always use a heart because it's the symbol of love. And when Paul says, put on your breastplate, equip yourself, go away for a little bit if you need to, be in your prayer closet and equip yourself, get your armor on. Put your breastplate on. Renew your faith in God and know that in your heart beats that faith, the very core of your being. And from that beating comes love. From that beating comes love. The beating of your heart. Love is pulsated into people's lives. Every heartbeat, you have an opportunity to shine the light. Every heartbeat. You've established your heart. You've built the muscle on faith. And instead of procrastinating, instead of denying, instead of going out to the woodshop and serving yourself and just protecting yourself and putting yourself in a cubbyhole, instead of doing any of that, whatever your diversion is, God wants you to take that heartbeat, that deep faith that's in your heart, and pour out love. Faith comes in and love goes out. Every heartbeat, you have an opportunity. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation in hope. Our mind is protected knowing. I mean, that's what we know. We know Jesus died for us. In our mind, we know Jesus died for us. And we will live again in the fullness of Christ. We will live. I had a wonderful time yesterday. I got to work with somebody else on doing a funeral service. It was their first official funeral service to do from this side of the pulpit. And we went to the graveside, and, and they were asking me, where do we stand? What do we do? And it, it was fun to share some knowledge. And, and I said, well, we're going to stand at the head of the casket. And, and the head of the casket always lays on the west side so that in the second coming, when Christ comes again, the dead will rise facing the east. And it was so fun to share that because in our mind, we know that salvation. And we know that when God comes in glory, we'll rise again no matter whether we're alive or whether we've passed. We'll be intimate with the Christ again in that. And we will rise again. Our mind has that. So it's with that hope we live into. And if we allow our mind to live into that hope, the hope of God coming and being with God, whether we die from a physical death or it's the second coming of the Christ, we'll be intimate with God again. Whatever that is, that's our hope we live from, and it's established in our faith in our heart, and love pumps from that, and our actions reveal that. So we have two choices in our life. We have two choices of whether we grab our coping mechanism, and Lord knows there's a million of those in the world. Some people shop for their coping mechanism. Life gets too tough, where do you go? You go to the mall, right? I mean, it's what we do. Sometimes I get on my bicycle. I'm too worried about breathing to worry about anything else in the world, right? And some people do have coping mechanisms like alcohol and drugs and those things. But we, the people of God, need to understand that God's calling us out of that and to live an honest relationship with Jesus, that in our heart and our mind and all that we have, we're with Jesus. And Jesus walks with us every day of our life in the daylight. The nighttime is for resting. The daylight is for witnessing. And God calls us into doing that. And not all of us stand up here and preach. That's not your witness. Some of your witness is to be intimate with people, to sit and listen to them, 
to know their life stories, to hear what's going on, to take them for a cup of coffee. Some of your lives are, you know, what you're teaching. You're, you're with the children and, and you're with them, but you're not only just with the children, you're with the parents also. And you have an opportunity to witness to the world. God equips us in those moments. If we wear our breastplate and we wear our helmet, God gives us a good mind and a good heart so that we can serve others. I want to tell you there was a lady one time that had a nine-year-old boy. And her coping mechanism was the piano. I mean, she was a wonderful pianist, but she also used it as her coping mechanism. And she wanted to equip her child the same way we would want to equip, equip our children with faith. She wanted to equip him with the ability to play the piano. And so she gave him piano lessons. And he hated practicing. He was nine years old. Can you imagine making a kid practice for one or two hours a day on the piano at nine years old? I mean, how many times can you run the scale up and down the key? I mean, it's got... The kid wanted to be outside playing ball, wanted to go do something else, but his mama wanted him, wanted him to learn the piano. But somewhere in her mind, she just couldn't wrap it in how to get him engaged. The witness wasn't quite there because she was selfishly doing it from her own coping mechanism. It makes me feel good. I'm going to teach him how it makes him feel good. Or at least that's what I want my son to do. Right? Her mind wasn't on Christ. It was on selfishness. So one day she decides that she's going to take him to see a renowned pianist. Paderewski is his name. Ignacy Paderewski. He's a Polish pianist. He was also a Polish statesman. He was in concert at the city hall. Brought his own special piano to play. Had it shipped in to the concert hall. And she drug her nine-year-old son, can you imagine? Drug her nine-year-old son to this concert filled with all these astute people and all everybody that wants to be seen in society and stuff. This lady is there with her nine-year-old son. Paternuski plays beautiful music, beautiful music, and plays. And the nine-year-old boy is like this. You know, just just all over the place while the concert's going on. And then, as you know, in those kind of settings, there's an intermission. And so during the intermission, they all start to get up and meander along. And Paternuski goes backstage to get some water and refresh himself a little bit. And somehow or another, the little nine-year-old boy makes himself up on stage. He makes his way through the crowd, down the stairs, up onto the stage, and he sits on the bench... Paternuski's personal piano. Now, if I'm a mother and I see my child doing that, I am freaking out, right? Jesse, you better, right? And he starts to play chopsticks, right? And can you imagine what the crowd does? They've heard all this beautiful concert, this wonderful music. And all of a sudden you hear a child banging on a piano with chopsticks. And Paternuski's backstage, and he hears this. Somebody's playing his piano, and they're playing it horribly. So he turns, and he pushes by the people that are back there, and he makes his way back onto the, onto the stage, and a hush falls over the crowd. 
Paternuski walks up to the little boy who's sitting on his bench playing chopsticks, and he leans over and he puts an arm around either side of him, and he begins to play a piece that accompanies the boy. And he continues to play with the boy, and the whole time he's whispering in the boy's ear, don't quit, don't quit, keep going, don't quit, keep going. And they play this beautiful piece together. And when they're through playing, the whole crowd has stopped in intermission, and he gets a standing ovation. You see, that's what God wants from us. God wants us to get out of our diversion, get out of the wood shop, engage the people, and walk where it might be a little uncomfortable, where the notes might not be quite so perfect. But he wants us to shine the light, to come alongside those who are struggling a little bit and tell them, don't quit. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this pandemic. God's got us. We're going to get through this racism and and we're going to all love each other eventually someday. We're going to get through whatever politics are in our land. We're still going to be a good country because we have good people and we have a God who loves us. Don't quit. Keep shining the light. Keep going. Encourage one another and live together in harmony so that the light of Christ is vivid and bright in your life. Let us, brothers and sisters, engage those around us and shine the light. Amen and amen.